right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson, and I'm surprised Nick Springer made it in today. Hey. It was a, a tough one. I mean, multiple reasons, uh, both, I guess, on and off the court, so to speak, for, for Nick. Between yeah. dealing with the on the court, K, or the Chiefs losing, yeah, on the, the Chiefs court losing. stuff. Yeah. Nothing bad. Nothing bad. I don't know. Yeah. You, you can share it if you want. Well, basically, I'm allergic yeah. to poinsettias, as yeah. it turns out. <laughs> because I touched one, and then I had red dots all over my body. <laughs> but so that back. was pretty cool. We're glad to have him. We're glad to have him. <laughs> uh, we're going to be breaking down the KU-Missouri game today throughout the show. We will also talk about the Chiefs, NFL Monday overreactions, Case of the Mondays, normal Monday segments. Uh, we got some KU basketball audio, Thomas Robinson, Bill Self, we'll get to later in the show. And we even have some uh, KU football to talk about. Mello Dotson is coming back for another year. Who? Uh, Mello and uh, not Carmelo Anthony, Mello Dotson coming back for next year. And KU has a new commit from the transfer portal, uh, John Hanica, if, who's a tight end from Iowa State. If Carmelo Anthony had another year of eligibility, and he wanted to come back to Kansas for one year. Do you let him? Well, yeah, why would you not? Well, because he's like 50. He's like 40. Like, he would be the best <laughs> shooter on the team. Like, no no joke. Okay. I mean, okay. th- those guys, uh, NBA, like, yes. <laughs> he would be able to play the Nick Timberlake role, but better. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Okay, uh, anyway, uh, we were brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. So Kansas beats Missouri 73-64, to the final score in this one. And, and really, this just came down to KU playing really well over the last, I don't know, 8 to 12 minutes of the first half because it was it was an ugly start. You had a great middle portion. Then you held off in the end after kind of letting them grind back into it and, and you hit some late free throws and everything. Uh, but you won that game at the end of the first half. So if you combine the first 10 minutes of the first half with the entire second half, that's 30 minutes of game time. Okay. Missouri outscored Kansas 50 to 42 among those 30 minutes. Oh. But in the last 10 minutes of the second half or of the first half, excuse me, last 10 minutes of the first half, Kansas outscored Missouri 31 to 14. And that's why you win the game 9-9. It was at one point it was 15 to 6. Yeah. Uh, at one point it was also 20 to 12. Uh, the rest of the first half after you were down 20 to 12, you outscored them 29 to 9. And you yeah, went they on, that a, on what a 14-0 run? I think it was 14-0, yeah. And, and specifically 10 points of those 14. It was a 10-0 run in the final about two minutes and 40 seconds of the first half. And and as part of that stretch, Mizzou airballed like three threes. It was just <laughs> unbelievable how many they, they kept airballing. So uh Kansas just basically was unbelievably dominant for about a 10 to 12 minute stretch, and that was enough. Yeah, uh this was that would uh file this one under extremely ho hum win. Yeah. Uh, because the ba- the brand of basketball that was being played was not the prettiest. It was uh, no, that not was not one of KU's better offensive games. No, it was it was not the most beautiful. In game. fact, it was one of their worst by points per possession. It was not pretty to watch, really, from uh, from either team. I mean, Missouri, it seemed like at times didn't know what offense was and how to run it, uh, and so they really had a hard time. 
Uh, Nick, Nick Honor, he had some Antonio Reeves syndrome. He thought he thought he was somebody that he wasn't, <laughs> and uh, that was pretty evident too. So, uh, yeah, a solid win for Kansas uh, overall against uh, against the Missouri team that what is probably their ceiling is is a, is a tournament team. I mean, that's, that's probably their ceiling, first-round tournament team. Uh, but it's not a guarantee they're going to make the tournament. I mean, I was not very impressed with Missouri at all. I mean, I don't think they're very good, really, <laughs> at all. Uh, so, so yeah, to me, this felt like a game where Kansas was just kind of playing with their food. They were just kind of playing around. I mean, they didn't I, – I, I'll say this, Hunter Dickinson – even though the stats look good, he just looked very disinterested throughout the whole game to me. I disagree with that. It's to me. 16 rebounds. I know the stats look good. He just just I was I was there, I was watching him. He just didn't seem like he really cared at all. He was named the uh, Ken Palm MVP for the game. Was he really? Yeah, 13 wow. points, 16 rebounds. He also had an assist and a steal. I I disagree with that. I I mean it was it was an inactive offensive game for him. He only had, what, two shots in the first half. He finished six for nine from the floor. But I think yeah. I think that was just based on what Missouri was doing. We're going to play Bill Self Audio later. He kind of said how, how Missouri was just crashing the paint and basically daring KU to beat him from, from three on the outside. And, you know, Timberlake hits the one corner three. And uh, Kevin uh, at one point hit a three. Uh, El Marco hits a three. And that helped open things up a little bit, even though there wasn't overall a ton. And, and he got a little more active in the second half. But when you're going up against a team who's crashing the paint and has a 7-5 guy, I think it's a little bit hard. You, you don't want him forcing the issue. Yeah, I wish Connor Vanover would, would go to a barber. <laughs> I thought he uh, was going— He looked going, ridiculous. He looked like— He literally looked like a Sasquatch. He looked like if Brady Manick was, was on stilts. Seven inches taller. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, like, he doesn't—you don't have— does, Somebody should tell him he doesn't have to look like that. You can just, you know, be normal and have, like, actual... Can you be normal? He's 7'5". You know, (laughs) kind of eliminates some sort of normalcy in life. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, not not a great game for the KU offense overall. Uh, 1.04 points per possession in the end, which, um, out of comparison for the season, uh, let's see, the only games that were worse, Tennessee were at uh, 9.57 or 0.957, sorry. Marquette, you were at 0.847. Those were the only two games worse than this in points per possession on the offensive end of the floor. Um, so, not your best work. The reason you won this game outside of that, you know, what what caused you to have success here outside of that nice little uh, portion at the end of the first half, I think it was a couple things. It was uh, the inside presence that you got, and that goes in two ways. One, in terms of you scoring inside. Two, you didn't give up a lot of shots inside to them. Um, the defense I thought was really good for KU, and then the rebounding. The rebounding was a big deal. KU dominated on the glass yeah. in this one. Um, plus seventeen. And I guess the free throw shooting is helpful too. Yeah, yeah plus seventeen on the boards, which yeah. is obviously by far, by far their best rebounding game of the season. Yeah, that that might be my biggest takeaway from the game in that because that's something that both the the rebounding and the forcing. Uh, turnovers, getting steals. Both of those are areas that KU has not done a great job in early this season, but are areas that I think they can do well at because of the personnel. Like you look yeah. at the personnel, they should be a good rebounding team. Yeah. And in this game, you had about a 42% offensive rebound rate, meaning 42% of the shots you missed, you went up and grabbed your own offensive rebound. That was your best game this year in offensive rebound rate. That was only your second game this year above 30%. The only other one above 30 was Manhattan, and you were above 40 in this game. And then the defensive rebounding rate was 80.6%, so about four out of every five rebounds to be had on the defensive side, you cleared it. Uh, That was your third best game this year. The only other ones above 80%, Tennessee, and then the Chaminade game. So, I mean, 
that was as excellent of a rebounding game as you could imagine. Uh, like I said, the free throw shooting was big, too. You were 87%. That was your best free throw shooting percentage game this season. Yep. That was your third time this year having 80% or higher. And it was your second most free throw attempts against a Division One opponent this season. So it wasn't just that you had, oh, you only shot 10 free throws and you went 8 of 10 or you went 9 of 10. Like They shot a good amount of free throws and they were hitting them at a high clip. Um, so I, I think both of those are positive takeaways of things you look to improve kind of happening in this game. Yeah, uh, and the inside presence thing still happened. Like, um, that's kind of one big difference in this game too. Like, uh, how Kansas was able to get inside more than Missouri. Kansas was, it was only like forty eight percent on two point shots overall. But when you look at just at the rim, Kansas was fifteen of twenty six, which is fifty eight percent at the rims. So they were able to dominate on the inside. Now Missouri only got fifteen shots at the rim. And so for Kansas, in a game where they were uh, 3 of 10 from 3, where they went 5 of 16 on shots in the paint that were not at the rim, 2 of 4 in the mid-range, that means collectively on paint twos that were not at the rim, mid-range twos, and three-point shots, Kansas was 10 of 30. But you were 58% on 26 shots at the rim. You got there a bunch. You held Missouri from getting to the rim a ton with just 15 shots there. And what did we talk about on Friday? We said, well, Kansas has done a good job um, defensively basically funneling teams to have to take above-the-break threes, non-corner threes. They've done a much better job preventing teams from taking corner threes than above the break. And Missouri coming in was like 47% on corner threes versus like 31% on above-the-break threes. Well, guess what? Kansas did a great job in this game. Missouri only took five corner threes. They took 16 above-the-break threes. So uh, that was, I think, a a good thing for KU. They, They did a good job of maybe understanding the scouting report and playing to their strengths while also getting those boosts from free throw shooting and rebounding. Yeah, and on top of all that, you have the most athletic player on the floor just making ridiculous plays at both ends. None other than uh, Mr. K.J. Adams himself. Uh, I mean, I think he has to be the MVP of the game just uh, based off the flashiness of the plays you, he made. You're picking your Nick Palm MVP? Nick Palm MVP is K.J. Adams. I don't care what Ken Palm says, okay? Ken Palm is not watching the game. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the game. <laughs> yeah, Nick Palm the MVP is K.J. Adams. Uh, I mean, he had that ridiculous dunk where he was like got the ball on the baseline and didn't dribble and somehow just jumped like 20 feet. I don't yeah. even know how he did that. Uh, that was awesome. The block, the was block, obviously was like the play of the game. That's a play that's definitely going to be in KU's pregame highlight yeah. reel, highlight package they have probably going forward. Uh, and what's crazy about that block, as I was watching it, I have no idea how he managed to block it, and then it went back in play because KU ended up getting points off it at the other end. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. Like I, I couldn't even understand the physics of it. Was that. full like, force <laughs> into blocking it. It was insane. But yeah, KJ Adams, a phenomenal game, and. One of the things with KJ Adams that I was really impressed by is kind of what kind of what you alluded to with Missouri's defensive game plan that Bill Self said was Missouri was was letting KJ Adams basically catch the ball like 18 feet from the basket and they weren't even trying to guard him. They weren't they were just like do whatever do whatever the hell you want, you know, knock yourself out. And so KJ Adams started taking those those little, little short shots. floaters and push shots yeah. and he was making them. Which by the way, them. I did a little uh research on this today. Thank you to College Basketball Analytics on those types of shots. I, I mean, it's not all push shots because it's just technically shots that are in the paint but not at the rim. Yeah, like I don't kind know of just inside the elbow, basically. Yeah, which basically the ones that, that you think of right there, the push yeah. shots. He is shooting 52% on those this year. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Uh, by the way, out of reference, the rest of Kansas on those types of shots is shooting 32%. Well, and I think for KU to be really successful, KJ Adams has to be a threat to make those shots consistently. So the fact that he is at that percentage right now is, I think, a very positive sign for Kansas because 
he needs to be a threat to make that and force teams to at least come out to meet him, you know, just beyond the free throw line or, or, or something like that. Because all that's going to do, if he keeps making those shots, is it's just going to open up Hunter Dickinson more. It's going to open up KJ, KJ's ability to pass to Hunter Dickinson or pass it around a little bit more and create more opportunity. So, yeah, I love that. And I think it's great that he was able to, to step into that and step up with confidence and, and take those types of shots, right? You know, it's easy for – I think it'd be easy for a guy like KJ Adams who is obviously not the greatest, like, perimeter shooter really in the world uh, to, to be a little nervous, to be a little skeptical of taking those shots. But I think he has to be aggressive and needs to do that. And it was evident in the Missouri game that he did do that with success, and it really helped Kansas a lot. Uh, so I think that I think that needs to continue going forward. It he you have to be a threat to do that. You know, it's 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 the same concept as with Dewan Harris when people they desperately want him to shoot threes. He didn't necessarily have to always shoot, but he has to be a threat, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with KJ Adams. He has to be a legitimate threat to make those types of shots, and he certainly was against Missouri. And then obviously his defensive impact, uh, like you alluded to, and some of the dunks he made. I mean. Just a just a phenomenal athlete and and really a fantastic player. Yeah, and uh, over the last three games now, he's averaging about eighteen points, um, five rebounds, four assists, one block, almost two steals per game. That it's unbelievable the way he's playing. If you take out the Marquette game, which was his worst game of the year, three points, he's averaging fourteen points per game in the other games this season. Like he has been so good this year and. Uh, the stats right now, 12.9 points, 3.8 rebounds, 3.1 assists. Like, that's not going to get him on an All-Big 12 first team or second team, which, uh, by the way, I was thinking about this today, uh, earlier, uh, as it pertains to awards at the end of the season. I just realized it's it's going to be harder to get on those awards because there's more teams now. There's more yeah. players that are going to be putting up numbers. So, yeah. like, a third-team All-Big 12 selection this year is going to mean more than it did last year. Like, a second, you know what I mean? But anyway... Um, I, I guess point being with with where we've we've talked so much about Hunter Dickinson, All American candidate, and Kevin McCuller making that step to being an All American candidate so far this year. I, I know this is another year conversation away, and KJ's playing great right now. I am like fully convinced that next year KJ Adams is going to be like an All American. I'm I'm just there. He's gonna he's gonna put up like 16 points, four yeah, rebounds, might. three yeah. assists on like 70 percent from the field or something. Like it's unbelievable. Yeah, he's so just, he's just an animal. Yeah, he he absolutely is. Um, the other interesting takeaways for me one was from uh sean east who is the missouri guard who, who had he had himself a nice game he had, he had what 17 points yeah, yeah, like he had 21, 21 points, points yeah. yeah 21 points 8 of 15 from the floor six assists Pr- pretty good game for him really. he did have five turnovers though yeah so i mean uh, pretty solid game yeah so he said in the post game they were uh asking him about the game plan and he said they knew timberlake and Furphy, I think he accidentally called him Murphy instead of Furphy, but anyway, uh, and Furphy aren't as good defenders, so the game plan was to ISO and attack them every possession. Now, there's two parts of this, because uh, obviously a lot of people got up in arms about the Dennis Gates quote afterwards about him being like, I'd like to see another, what, what other school's <laughs> oh, going to oh, come in here and yeah. lead for oh, okay. 14 minutes or I, I do want to point something out about that. Yeah. I have, so there was a there was a collection of Missouri fans there at the mm-hmm. game, right? They were up in the top corner, you know, and I have never heard a fans, a group of fans, be more excited, more loud, more fired up to be up three to two than Missouri was. I mean, they were going nuts when it was like seven to five. They were just going crazy. Yeah. And it's seven to five. Enjoy it while two. you can, I guess. It's insane. They knew it was about to come. No, but that that made me laugh for multiple reasons. One, because like, A, it's like you shouldn't celebrate that. But B, more, more than that, how many times did Kansas come back from like a halftime deficit over the yes, last two years? That's you know? like their mo. Like that, that's happened so often. They suck in the first half, and then they, they yeah. you know, the start of the second half, they have a big run, and Alan Phillips goes crazy, and they win. Yeah. So anyway, I I just thought that was a little silly, but uh, nonetheless, um, 
so the Sean East comments were interesting from that standpoint for two reasons. One, going to the idea of if that truly was Missouri's like number one game plan to be like, hey, our best offensive game plan is going to be to attack Johnny Furphy and Nick Timberlake, two guys who collectively played 14 minutes. <laughs> And then in the other 26 minutes, we're screwed. We're just going to That would around. be a hilarious game plan. <laughs> but that said, because I actually thought the KU defense was really good in this game, especially in the in the possessions where they weren't really on the floor. Yeah. That is a little bit, I don't know if it's worrisome because it's it's not like news. Like we, we know with Timberlake and Furphy, that's been the thing holding both of them back. I think with Timberlake more so than Furphy. Um but it's, it's, it's another thing when you hear about it and you have teams going at it that much. Yeah. Well, I think the big issue that comes to mind for me is, like, maybe opposing teams, and, and, you know, Missouri might have taken this to extreme, but opposing teams are basically thinking, you know what, hey, if we can hold our own and keep it close when KU has Dickinson and K.J. Adams and Kevin McCullough and Dewan Harris all on the floor at the same time, if we can just keep it close and then pounce on them when they bring in Furphy and Nick Timberlake for the few minutes that they do and try to really, really exploit them and get as many points as possible in that span – then that would be maybe the, the approach, right? So, like, yeah. you know, if you can play and say, hey, you know, we're going to play against these other guys that KU has, the starters, and maybe we're down six, but then in the five minutes of in the five minutes that Furphy and Timberlake come on the floor, we're going to gain, like, ten points on them, and then maybe we're up four at that point, right? Yeah. So maybe that's their strategy. Yeah, it might just be. It might just be, but that's that's certainly something to monitor because with Timberlake, it's, you know, he, he needs to become even just, like, a below-average defender to get on the court more. With Furphy, can you become an average defender? With Furphy, I have more hope because he's a freshman. It takes young players time sometimes. Like, Grady Dick was very inconsistent last year on the defensive end. It just takes time with freshmen. But yeah. he's he's an athlete. He's long. Like, there's things that can uh, go there. The other big takeaway I have from this game, I, I know this wasn't, like, a breakout game. He had 11 points and, like, one assist. I'm starting to get it with El Marco Jackson. I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to see the picture, I guess. I'm starting to get yeah. there. Yeah. Um, because this is now three straight games that I think you could say El Marco Jackson had decent games, had good games, right? And, and I do think, like, whenever you're the fifth option, which he is, I don't know that he's ever going to consistently, for this team, put up big stats. Like, like, could he have a breakout game where he's 15 points or 20 points? Absolutely. Is it going to be a situation where he scores... 15 points for four straight games? Probably not. It's just hard to do that as a fifth man. Like, like you look at the shot attempts he's taken this season. 5, 6, 4, 4, 4, 2, 6, 4, 5, 5. Maybe you could argue he needs to be more aggressive. Maybe Bill Self would. I don't know. But the point is, there's not a lot of shots to be had there. But Missouri, he had 11 points. I thought he played pretty good defense. Like, the defense was better when he was out there than when it was Timberlake or Furphy. Um, against UMKC, I thought he saw some good moments. Three assists. He had, he had a solid second half. Uh, and then against UConn. He played 32 minutes, and Bill Self complimented him after the game. So that's now three games where, yeah, stats don't jump off the page, but I think you're starting to see more positives there with Marco Jackson. And this jumped out to me. Um, this is uh, player on-off ratings. So uh, difference in the team factors when you have when this player is on the court versus when they are off the court. Uh, this is according to College Basketball Analytics. Now, this is just in their games against Division One teams, so this does not count the Chaminade game, whatever. Amarco Jackson is first on Kansas in net rating for on-off. He's plus 25.3. Second is Hunter Dickinson at plus 12. Now, I, I don't know that I'm fully like buying into that stat. I, I don't think he's the most important player on the team. I think what that is most indicative to me is that he is by far your best fifth option. Oh, 
Sure. I, I think that's sure. what it is to me, yeah. is that he is on the court when they're making runs, not directly because of him, but because when you have a fifth option that's playing competent on both ends of the ball with those other four guys, that's what leads to that number being that well. Yeah, I think it's safe so, to say we're totally. I think it's safe to say we're totally done with people saying Jordan McDowell should start, Johnny Furfish should yeah. start. I think we're, I think we're done with that. I think we're done with that. Yep. Uh, a couple of quick, real quick takeaways here. Number one, uh, pregame light show. This is my first time mm. at Allen Fieldhouse for the pregame light show. That was pretty sick. That was pretty cool. Number two, whoever's idea it was to do the renovations and not have the AC be top priority, jail. Okay, it's nine billion degrees in there. Okay, it was horrible. Uh, number three, alluded to this kind of a little bit uh, on Friday, and I don't really want to. I don't know how much to take away from this game specifically because I think Missouri is just not that good. But mentioned it about McCuller if he had a bad game Cola. on the outside or struggled. Uh, shooting wise, this was not a great game for him. Four fifteen, he wasn't great from beyond the arc either, and KU still. Managed to win the game pretty comfortably. So I, again, I don't know how much to read into that because I think Missouri's not that good. But that was something I mentioned last week that I wanted to mention here as well. So yeah. those were kind of some of my takeaways. Well, bottom line here, um, honestly, it's it's not the biggest deal in the world. Like that game doesn't change your resume. Uh, I don't think we learned too much about the team, even despite no. all this that we've I mean, talked like, about. Like, like I said earlier, I mean, this is Missouri at best is a tournament, right? At that, that, that's their that's their ceiling. But the reason this is a big deal is because anytime you beat a rival, anytime you beat Missouri, it's yep. a big deal. It's fun. It's enjoyable. So yep. that's how you win. We'll get to more KU basketball talk throughout the show, including coming up next with our Pearson Collision hit of the week. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to the KU football news, a little KU women's basketball uh, coming up in our next segment. This segment is brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football or KU basketball, but in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. So uh, we're, we're going to kind of mess around with our hit of the week as far as it pertains to basketball, as we talked about last week. Last week, we did hitting shots against yep. uh, UConn, which ended up being K.J. Adams with two free throws to seal the game against UConn. Uh, this game... I'm more so thinking hitting from the violent standpoint. <laughs> um, there was like hitting the rim, like Hunter. I didn't know Hunter Dickinson could do that. The the putback jump because the putback dunk that he had. Usually you just see him like kind of get a little maybe. Dunk? No, I know he could dunk. It's the putback dunk where you really got to get up there because then you got to get the rebound and throw it down all in one motion. Yeah, we more so just see him kind of do the the little mini hop. You know, sure. grab yeah. the ball and, and use his long limbs and everything. Yeah. Uh, there was the KJ dunk that you were referring to. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. But what about KJ hitting the ball off the backboard on the uh, block? That's the answer, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean the KJ block. I think is has got to be the answer here. I mean, like I said earlier, that 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 is a play that is going to be encapsulated in all of KU's pregame hype videos from here going forward. I'm sure. Uh, you know, in 20 years, people will probably be seeing that that block. Uh, from KJ on that play because of just the the how emphatic it was and the fact that it ended up leading the points for K with the other end and just the significance of it against Missouri, obviously. So a significant play. And uh, as it was noted many times, of course, Thomas Robinson was in, in attendance there. He had a big block against Missouri. And, and uh, T-Robs was certainly bigger with the game on the line. But uh, certainly in terms of uh, just the pure dominance if the both block, if the T Rob block and the KJ block were both when the score was zero zero, the KJ block would be way better. I would agree with that. Yes. The only the reason the T Rob one is is, is well, better the funniest is because part, the situation, which the, that does matter. The funniest part about the KJ block is the guy gets the ball, 
and he looks back. <laughs> no, he's like, oh, at, like mid court, and he and he's like, ah, I'm fine. And then here comes KJ on rocket boosters. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're not fine, bud. You're about to get your bleep destroyed. And KJ is a strong dude, to say the least. He put all of his strength into blocking that. Like sometimes you see somebody uh, get a shot blocked off the off the backboard, like pinned from behind. Yeah. And it, it's just pinning it there. Or it's well, yeah. like, well, think of the LeBron block. Right. That was, was kind of just pinning was, it yeah, there, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's another thing when he like volleyball spiked it off the backboard. Yes. Ray Bashar. Get this guy on the team. I know. So yeah, that's the hit of the week is the KJ Adams block hitting it off the backboard. So KJ now has two in a row just like that. Yeah, he does. So are we gonna keep track like we do with football about uh, who gets the most? Yeah, we will. KJ Adams with an early two nothing lead. Wow. I think there's gonna be more for KJ. He's such a good athlete that like Yeah, he just makes crazy plays. But again, because I mean, again, we're in any other game, I think the KJ dunk probably would have sure. been the right pick. But also because we keep changing the criteria for the basketball version, like hit could be anything. So <laughs> Dewan Harris could win it on hitting a great pass, hitting Maybe. a great connection on a pass. I don't sure. know. Yeah. But for this week, yeah, KJ Adams once again. All right, that is uh, our Pearson collision collision hit of the week. Pearson knows accidents happen. Understand the stress and pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance. Pearson Collision Repair, 7th in Connecticut and Lawrence. And if you're looking for work, they're always looking to add to their team of artists. A rewarding career with awesome pay, paid holidays, and weekends off is uh, what you get at Pearson Collision Repair. They strive to hire the best, and they want you to apply. If you're committed to excellence, want career growth, come join the award-winning team. You can go to the Pearson Collision Repair page on Facebook and apply. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST KU Football Talk with some roster moves for 2024 next. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Back into RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and uh, we'll continue on with some Chief Stock Case of the Mondays, NFL Monday overreactions, more KU hoop stock, and some audio coming throughout the show. Uh, some good news for KU football for 2024 as uh, they have some roster announcements. Before we get into that, I did want to mention the KU women's basketball team won yesterday by uh, 22 points against Wichita State. Tiana Jackson returned. She had 13 and 11. That was good to see. Honestly, Samai Nichols might end up being KU's best player by the end of the year. She had 23 points. She continues to look really good. So now they're sitting at five and four. They've won two straight. They get Central Arkansas Saturday game. They should win. Um, like I said, we we've kind of said they, they need to start racking up wins with with some of the early season losses. So good to see, at the very least. All right. So uh, from the KU football perspective of things, Melo Dotson. Coming back, they also added a transfer tight end. Let's start with Mello. Uh, so Mello announced on social media, said, back for revenge. And uh, what do you think he's he's getting revenge on? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the haters? The haters, yeah, the doubters. The award voters who didn't recognize <laughs> him as much? Possibly. Uh, back for revenge on, uh, I don't know, the teams that KU lost to. Okay. So, uh, I don't know. But, like, okay, he tweets that. Without the video, what does that mean? <laughs> if there's no video. Because, you know, he tweets back for revenge with the highlight video indicating that he's coming back. 
Yeah, back for revenge with but if no there's video. No video. Or conversely, if he just tweets the video with no comment at all, what does that mean? Then it's just highlights. <laughs> okay. No, I think I think you need both. Um, I mean, it's it's a big deal for Kansas to get him back. He is among a list of about a handful of players here who have a decision if they want to go pro or not. Obviously, every decision every had, year on both teams. I guess, yeah, that's true. Uh, always will have the decision about the transfer portal or not. Um, I do think it's interesting. I, I guess it makes sense because if, if you're going to announce that you're going to the NFL draft, then it leaves open. Are you going to opt out of the bowl game? Or are you going to come back to the bowl game? But hypothetically, what if Kobe Bryant, or I'm sorry, what if Melo Dotson in the bowl game has three interceptions and two pick sixes? <laughs> then does he change his mind and go pro? I would think probably not. I mean, I don't know that one game makes that much Seven of a difference. interceptions with five pick sixes. I mean, that would be national news. <laughs> Does he go pro? Like, you know, like, is there a world where I like, do you, do you need to have your announcement after the bowl game? I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, it seems like guys like Devin Neal, Austin Booker, maybe waiting till after the sure. bowl game, probably. So there are going to be some guys that are going to do that. But, you know, I mean, doing it ahead of time. Now, you know, you know, your teammates know and ever in your coach, you know, the coaching staff knows and you can just fully lock in right on, on that. You know, you don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah. So. Oh, no, I, I think it's great. It's it's great for us to talk about and everything. I'm just generally wondering, like, could could the bowl game change things? I, I don't know. I, no. Well, I mean, listen, if they were in, like, the Cotton Bowl or, you know, a bigger bowl, like the Alamo Bowl or something, maybe. Pop-Tarts Bowl? <laughs> Jesus Bowl? Just, you're just bitter about the Pop-Tarts Bowl. I just want bowls that I like the sponsor, I guess would be the way. You don't like it. having a mortgage? That's pretty important. I do, but like I have nothing. I, mean, I, I don't mortgage, have anything against mortgages. Rate. It's like very important. It is. Right? One they the don't represent every mortgage. You can do. They don't represent every mortgage. Oh, I don't know how much. Just one company. We, we, listen, we addressed this I last week. I owe nothing to guaranteed rate. We addressed this last week. I don't know mortgages or how they work. So I'm just, I don't know. Anyway. No, I mean, this is clearly good news. Like, Melo Dotson was, I think, by one publication, like a third-team All-American. He was yep. All-Big 12 honorable mention. Yeah. He was a pick-six machine and a couple big ones that yeah. basically won you the game. Well, they were one-score games in yeah. well, uh, Iowa State and Oklahoma. One of the, this is one of the cases where having an elite guy on the other side with Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. and getting targeted a lot really put the spotlight on Melo Dotson. Like, the fact that he was getting targeted a lot allowed him to demonstrate his skills and, and the leaps that he'd made. Uh, and his ability from the previous year, and right, uh, you know, I think you always you always went into a game with Kobe and Melo feeling pretty good about your matchups on the outside uh, if you're Kansas, which is not something you could say a lot previously. So yeah, now we kind of wait to see what what the decision of Kobe Bryant's going to be because that'll have a big impact on the rest of the corner room and and what happens for Melo because, um, let's say Kobe does come back, then it's basically run it back, right? Then it's both players. Try to do what you did again this year, but even slightly better. Can you take it to another step forward? Can you have the same year, but the team has more success where maybe you do get more recognition that way? Um, so it's, it's making that next step, obviously. If if Kobe does end up going pro or something, then if you're mellow, that it changes a little bit. It becomes now instead of being the second corner who was a big playmaker, it's can you shift to being the first corner and be a lockdown corner? 
right? Yeah. Can you shut down the other team's number one guy? Exactly. And, and it becomes yeah. a little bit different of a conversation. So it kind of sure. depends what happens there. But that's a good building block to have. Having an all-Big 12 caliber corner in Melo Dotson on the outside back for another year, a guy who you know is going to make those big plays, you know is going to come up with interceptions, you know is going to be a player who at any time can take one to the house on the defensive side of the football for a defense that took a big step forward this season, you know, giving up more than a touchdown better uh, than what you did last season. There are a lot of decisions that have to be made on the defensive side of the ball this year, right? There, yeah. There's whether it's Austin Booker or Kobe Bryant or this one that, that went your way. Uh, there's guys that are guaranteed to be gone from graduation, from Kenny Logan to a lot of your linebacker position to Devin Phillips, right? Like there's guys that are going to be gone, to make another step forward, which is what you still need to do, you know, if you want to win a Big 12 title, offense has to take a small step forward. Defense has to take a small step forward. If It's it's not as big of a step as they had to make from last year to this year, I don't think, on either end. But if both take a small step forward, now you're talking in that range because you were already near that range this year, right? I mean, you had those close losses in the end. So I, I think having Melo Dotson back is the start to a great defense or a start to an even better defense. It's not a guarantee of it, but it's a good place to begin. Yeah, and an underrated part of, of Melo's game and Kobe Bryant's game, for that matter, too, is their willingness to tackle on the outside, right? That was kind of a big factor for those guys as well, uh, was their willingness to step up and, and make some big hits in the run game as well, which was really impressive. And, and you're right, Melo Dotson, he, he, when you're going to lose Kenny Logan, who was sort of a foundational building block of your secondary over the past couple of years, now you need somebody else to fill that role, right? You need another guy to be that sort of that foundation guy, right? And it could be Mello uh, with him coming back. O.J. Burroughs at the safety position could step up, right? But you feel good now that you have a candidate or multiple candidates for guys that could be that that veteran presence and leader in the secondary. And by the way, Mello, uh, you talked about the run defense, 80.3 grade as a run defender. Kobe yeah. Bryant, 89.9. No, yeah, exactly. Hit both him and Kobe, very, mm-hmm. very underrated parts of their games was their willingness to come up and tackle. And Mello had a 78.2 coverage grade. He also, his overall pro football focus grade, 79.1. That's number one among corners in the Big 12. You know who's number yeah. two? Kobe, Kobe Bryant at a 78.7. <laughs> so, I mean, by one metric, you had the two best corners in yeah. – in, uh, I guess the Big 12 this year, which and is listen, uh, pretty incredible. When you've got that, all that does is it makes the jobs of the guys pass rushing easier. Really More does. More time to get home. Yeah, it really does. And uh, now we just wait with Kobe Bryant to kind of figure out the rest of that corner room. But yeah, the, so- the beauty of this, too, is that the re- that whole corner room, I mean, there's so much talent there, man. Um, It's not just having the frontline guy like Melo. And again, if you if you also have the front line guy with with Kobe, if he comes back too, yeah. But think about how they've recruited there the past couple of years, whether it's this class coming in for twenty twenty four or last year's class in twenty twenty three. Yeah. Even your top recruit in twenty twenty one was a corner, BJ Dilworth. He'll be a redshirt sophomore next year. Demarius McGee, the former like top three hundred recruit for LSU, transferred in yeah. this past year. Seemed like he was dealing with a lot of injuries this year. Yeah. That kind of prevented him from he maybe was. getting into a rhythm. But definitely a talented guy. Yeah. Uh, Jameel Croft and Jacoby Davis were two of your highest-graded recruits in the class of 2023, and they both, I would assume, will redshirt this year because I don't think either's gotten in more than four games. And then the three corners you're bringing in, Austin Alexander, Jalen Todd, Andre Gibson, all like either pretty highly rated three stars or even four stars in, in the case of like Alexander. So that room is going to be pretty loaded next year. Like, you you will be able to make a case. Here's the thing. 
if Melo Dotson's, if it's just Melo Dotson back, not Kobe Bryant, you'll be able to make the case that this is one of the better cornerback rooms in the Big 12. If Kobe Bryant is back with Melo Dotson, it's the top, I would think. I mean, with, I mean, you without could probably make the argument it's one of the best yeah. in the country. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, I mean, without going into too much, uh, you know, detail on that, I think it would probably be the best in the Big 12. Yeah, and to your point, maybe the best in the country at that point. Absolutely. And and you know, you mentioned the, the talent. If you lost in a world where you lost possibly both both Melo and Kobe, there would still be a lot of talent there, but it would be pretty unproven, right? Right. When you pair that talent with Guys that are proven veteran players that that only further serves to increase the ceiling of that unit in totality, yeah. and it starts with Melo Dotson. So. And then it gives a lot of those young freshmen, a redshirt freshman, another year to develop in the program. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's it's without, further without the pressure on their shoulders. The future. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's a huge gift for Melo Dotson. Like he immediately becomes a guy who will probably be picked on a bunch of preseason All Big Twelve teams. Certainly. So did you see Kobe's responses to <laughs> to that? Yes, that kind of stirred up some consternation. I feel like. I think, uh, <laughs> okay, so remember that one, there was the one tweet one time where it was like, it was explaining yeah, it was tweets by different positions, right? My team is great, God is good. Yeah. Running backs is, uh, just give me the ball, I gotta run harder. Right. And then tight end tweets would be like, derp. <laughs> and then wide receiver tweets is, the enemy speaks softly, but carries a big knife. <laughs> right. Very like cryptic stuff. Yeah, and then corners was kind of along the same line. Basically, right? yeah. If you, if I think if you were to flip that for the defense, it would be the corner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just that like, okay, think about it. A lot of times, the guys who talk a lot of trash on the defensive side of the ball, it's the corners, and the yeah. receivers for the offensive side of the ball. Right, you're out yeah. on an island on the outside. It, it's very you're personal. One on, yeah, you're, you're one, going on one on one every play. You know, and a lot of times, like to be a corner, you have to, especially a successful one you have to have a very different mentality than a lot of other positions because, like, the nature of the position is you're going to give up a touchdown at some point. You're going, like, even Darrell Reeves, even Deion Sanders, even, yeah. you know, whatever prime corner you want to talk about, eventually you get burned on a play. Eventually you give up a touchdown, right? Like, it's 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 a position that is very unfriendly. If If you're a defensive tackle and you mess up a play, Maybe they get a six-yard run. You know what I mean? Maybe you get pancaked. Maybe they get an eight-yard run. If you're a corner and you mess up a play, it's a 40-yard pass. So it's a very unfriendly position. So for that standpoint, the mentality, you have to be a very, I don't know, almost like cocky, uh, swagger-filled person to be able to play that position and not yeah. let it bother you when you give a big play because it really is next play. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, for that, that standpoint— explains, That explains why I didn't survive as a corner. <laughs> Well, for that standpoint, from a social media perspective, more often than not, your defensive backs, with if, if you have that same mentality, are going to have fun on social media, I think would be a good way of putting it, right? Yeah. They're going to have fun with it. Uh, they might be, you know, they might troll people to have fun with it. They might talk some trash, right? They're going to have fun with it. <laughs> I have seen what you were talking about with, with yeah, yeah, Kobe having some fun on social media and some fans like freaking out like, oh, does this mean he's gone or uh, going the other way? Like, oh, does this mean he's back, right? Yeah. There's the picture of him with uh, Lance Leipold, his arm around him at, at Allen Fieldhouse yeah. at, at halftime and stuff, right? Yeah. And uh, I would just put it this way. I think Kobe is just having fun. I think he's a fun-loving kid who's just like, oh, he yeah, likes I mean, to mess dude, around on every social time, media. Every time we've gotten the chance to talk to him, yeah. he's just a fun exactly. He's just a fun guy, right? He's, he's got a lot of energy. He's a fun guy. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, we're talking about a guy that just randomly will shadow box anybody in the area. I mean, right. he'll just start. He'll just start going crazy. Like I'll be honest, I think you're. I would be more worried if like 
it was quiet. If he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything at all. Yeah. Then it's like, uh-oh, what's, what's happening behind closed doors there, right? Sure. So, I, uh, I, well, we'll see what happens there because you never do know. Like, you never know what's going to happen with NFL draft evaluations. You never know what's going to happen. Is there going to be a team that uh, is able to kind of poach somebody in the portal? But I do believe KU is doing their best to take care of these kids from an NIL perspective. Absolutely. And Lance Leipold, I, I think, is an excellent head coach and an excellent CEO of a football program that, you know, there's there's no need to worry about something until it happens. And, and you know, I, I think Kobe Bryant enjoys being at Kansas. I think Kobe Bryant uh, is an excellent football player, and I, I wouldn't read too much into, oh, but he posted this. What does that mean? Just, you know, people having fun. It's college kids having fun on social media, right? Uh, now, beyond Melo Dotson coming back, Deshaun Hanica has announced that he's going to be coming to KU. Uh, pick your pick your uh, caption. Which caption do you like better? I, I'm just going to pick the one hashtag. You said I'm coming home. You also said hashtag Rock Chuck. Okay. You have Deshaun Hanukkah, hashtag unfinished business, mm. or Mellow Dotson, back for revenge. Mm, back for revenge. You like back for revenge better? Yeah. Aren't they technically the same thing, sort of? Yes. But back for revenge, back for revenge sounds cooler. I okay. Think, for sure. Unfinished business. <laughs> cliche. <laughs> well, uh, Hanukkah was at... Iowa State. He uh, originally is from Topeka, and then he went to Butler uh, Community College, which is you know one of the better community colleges in the country. Was there for a couple of years. I don't know if he redshirted one or what. Um, then he went to Iowa State. Was at Iowa State for three seasons, but this past year didn't play. He was caught up in some way with the gambling situation. Not that he was actually at fault of anything. He was cleared of all charges. Or charges is the wrong way to put it about it. He was cleared of everything, and also charges were never actually brought to him, so he's good there. But that that's the reason he didn't play this past year at Iowa State. Year before, he was fifth on the team in receptions, fourth on the team in receiving yards, led all tight ends in both. He also had four receiving touchdowns. Six foot six, two hundred forty five pound, big bodied uh, receiving tight end. Um, it, it's nice to have him in. You lose Mason Fairchild. This is a nice get for KU early in the portal process. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and you kind of touched on it there. He mainly uses a more of a wide receiver target type, uh, which could fill in maybe a little bit with with Mason Fairchild. But listen, if you're going to come into this offense, now I guess we'll see with Jeff Grimes what he wants to do, but if you're going to come into this offense as a tight end, you have to be more than willing to do your fair share of run blocking because that is the key, right? You look at a guy like Jared Casey, even when Mason Fairchild was a starter as well, like you have to be prepared to run block. So uh, hopefully he can do that and fit in, and that'll then give him some opportunities in the pass game as well. But yeah, seems like an athletic big guy, big target, right? Which is uh, which is always nice to see. Honestly, when when you think about tight ends that are really successful nowadays, it is those big body guys, right? It is the six four, six five, six six tight ends that you see going to the NFL and uh, going on to have successful careers. So he's definitely he definitely fits the physical profile of being a quality tight end. Uh, and I'll be curious to see how he fits in with with uh, the KU offense. Yeah, he only had like 45 snaps as a run blocker in 2022, so that tells me Iowa State didn't really want him to do it a ton. He did grade out okay there, like 68 run block grade, but yeah, they didn't really have him doing it a ton. So more of a receiving tight end from that standpoint. He was actually a receiver at the high school level, but uh, a really good one at that, and he's a really good red. I mean, KU struggled in the red zone at times this year. Uh, there's a really good red zone threat and target to throw it up to. Uh, now, there is some, uh, I guess, breaking news here, too. So, yeah. some more roster stuff that we should talk about now uh, real quick. Tanaka Scott is entering the transfer portal from the KU receiver position. I don't know that this is a huge surprise from the standpoint of, 
I mean, with, with Kansas has the possibility to return Lawrence Arnold, Quentin Skinner, Luke Graham, all three starting receivers. Yeah. So from that standpoint, you could be behind all. Also, Trevor Wilson can come back next year. Also, Doug Emelian can come back next year. Yeah. Uh, I know the staff is very high on Keaton Kubeka, right? And you also brought in a couple other freshman receivers last year, too. And uh, I, I think it makes sense for him. There was also the off-the-field stuff that happened at the beginning of last year. Maybe this allows you to just have a, a fresh start because I, I know that's that's been forgiven from a standpoint of like, He's been able to move on from it. I don't. I don't mean to bring it up from that standpoint, yeah. but I mean to bring it up because it felt like that off season he was really making inroads on. Oh, I mean, for sure. Th- there's an alternate I mean, world. We were, getting, that, we were hearing tons about him that off season. We were thinking then, it was going to be Arnold, Graham, and him as the three starters. Yeah. And there's an alternate universe where if, if the off the field stuff doesn't happen there, that he kind of got caught up in with Trevor Wilson, that maybe he is the starter and maybe. Some of the big plays Quentin Skinner made. I don't know. Maybe Skinner eventually emerges to the top anyway. But maybe Tanaka Scott's in those positions. And maybe Scott has been one of your best receivers since then. So yeah. uh, you wish him well. It'll yeah. be a bit of a tough loss for KU. He's good with with the ball in his hands after catch. But after the way the season went, not getting as much playing time, the Tech game where he struggled, dropped a couple big passes, yeah. I, I think this makes sense. And also just kind of a log jam at the receiver position. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of bodies there. Makes sense for a guy that I think definitely has the talent upside. But, uh, yeah, certainly wish him the best. And I will say this. Uh, I, I don't think KU was originally maybe looking at bringing in a receiver, but maybe now that they have one extra scholarship, maybe they would look to bring someone in. We've talked before, like maybe adding a yard-after-catch type of receiver would uh, make some sense. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. we got Case of the Mondays, Chiefs. Some more KU basketball talk coming up on RCST with Depend on it. So Maya Nichols, KU women's basketball player, was named the Big 12 Freshman of the Week. She had 23 points in KU's victory and uh, on, on Sunday against Wichita State. So cool to see there. She's, she's I mean, she hit the ground running right away, but she's getting better and better as, as things go on. She could be a absolute monster by the time Big 12 play comes around. Also, I saw this. Uh, Kobe Bryant has a NIL sponsorship yep. with Ruffles. Ruffles. How about that? Dude, Ruffles are not even that good. You don't like Ruffles? I mean, they're fine. Why don't you like Ruffles? I would just put them below like regular classic barbecue. I'd put them below Doritos. I'd put them below a lot of stuff. They're fine though. I mean, you realize you can get like barbecue ruffles. No, but I don't want. No, that, that's not what I want. I so want I think there are certain flavors of ruffles that are delicious. I don't know if you tried it. It's like the LeBron ones that well, you don't like spicy uh, cheddar no, and don't. sour cream. Uh, the flaming hot ruffle. Those are delicious. There's some other like ruffles that I I really like. Sour cream and uh, cheddar ruffles, delicious. Yeah, I mean, sour cream and onions. One's easy to eat jalapeno ranch. That sounds good. No, pass. <laughs> pass. I'm all in on it. All in on it, baby. Does this make it more likely that he stays at Kansas? <laughs> it is an NIL deal. Maybe. Who needs the NFL draft when you get free ruffles, you know? Dude, I would take free Now, listen, I, I know I just said I don't really like ruffles that much. If they're giving me free ruffles, I'm down. I'm so down. You're, you're, a, uh, you're a coward. Well, how do you figure? Well, because you're not actually, you're you're just, I I don't know you're you you don't have what a stance. What? You're, no. you're, I do have a stance. No, your stance is that you don't like them, but if they give them to you free, you'll you'll be a jellyfish and you'll well, be spineless. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of things that you are like. Well, I would rather have this or that, and then if someone's like, well, if I give it to you for free, the then way you, you were take describing it, anyway. it, you think it's the worst chip brand in the world. No, I don't know. No, that's what it sounded like to me. No, 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 no. no. I don't Careful. think it's the worst. Ruffles assassins will find you. No. Kobe might find me. You know, he's a Ruffles ambassador now. He'll shadow box you. 
Yeah, I would lose that for Into sure. Into the shadow realm. Yes. All right, uh, Chiefs lost to the Bills 20-17 to yesterday. Yeah, I wish I was in the shadow realm after uh, <laughs> after this game. It was it was another game where, I think a third straight game, where the Chiefs have fallen behind uh, double digits or, or yeah. something like that. I mean, it was 14 nothing in this game, and it, you just you can't continue to overcome that. Maybe the early Chiefs with Mahomes could because you had so much offensive firepower, and they were just built more on offense. This team is, just because of the receiver core, it's more of a... You need to be a low-error offense with a good defense. But uh, the combination of getting behind again, combination of – and I thought the defense played pretty well, all things considered, especially considering Josh Allen, I thought, played a really good game. And, and Yeah, I mean, the defense was He safe. avoided a billion sacks that could have been sacks and, and made it some insane plays. Yeah. Um, the defense was great. It was. But I, I think because of some of the injuries, you're seeing the defense is looking more like a above-average defense right now over these last two weeks with the Packers and Bills game. Yeah, I mean, uh, Justin Reed is a warrior, by the way. That yeah. team went down, like, multiple times and kept coming back and played his heart out, I think, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, but the problem is because of the injuries, they are playing more like an above-average offense or defense. And honestly, this offense this year has been basically an average offense. Like, Almost it really worse has. than that. I mean, they stink. I mean, it's just it's it's the same problems over and over again, right? It's, it's recycled every week. We can probably recap what's going to happen next week. I mean, maybe not the result of the game, but we can probably recap what the offense is going to look like. Yeah, they're, they're probably going to have a turnover, too, that's like, a, uh, like what the heck happened. It's really infuriating. But you had two of them in this game. Both were, like, around midfield, too, when you were driving. Um, I guess there's never a good spot in the field to have a turnover. You had the uh, uh, penalties against the offense. Like, the Packers game kept doing it in the red zone that, that pushed you back to force you to get field goals. Whether it's it's false starts, whether it's the offsides by Kadarius Tony, whether it's um, holding calls, whatever. Like, just having needless penalties, not converting all the time in the red zone. Uh, it's the same thing over and over again right now for the Chiefs. And, and overall, they are 11th right now in the NFL in uh, points four. Um, they're 26th in turnovers on the offensive side of the ball. Like, they're 27th in interceptions. This is the worst turnover differential they've had That's crazy. under Andy Reid since he got to Kansas City. That's crazy. And so, like, they're basically an above-average offense. And so if the defense is no longer playing at a top-five level and they're just above-average, again, due to injuries, you basically are an above-average team right now. And I think that's what we're seeing. They've lost, what, four or six games? Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Three out of four. Is this the Terrible. most turmoil that there has ever been at this point of a season with Andy Reid with the Chiefs? Uh, so I think the, if I remember it, the 2021 season, the Chiefs offense had about a month or two span where they just were really bad, but then they turned it on late and, you know, ended up going back to the Super Bowl, but had some injuries late that hurt them. But they had, they had a stretch in that season, I believe, where probably maybe four or five games where they really weren't that great on offense. Well, the first but, year they won the Super Bowl, the 1920 season, right? They were they were 7 and 4, and I think they had lost I don't know, like 3 of 5 or something like that, 3 of 4. They had just lost to the Titans. Mahomes had just come back from the injury, but that team won out. So, this was this is 2 weeks after that and and nothing has really been fixed from what they are. Like even when they're winning games right now, at least recently, it's it's not winning games that make you think some of their problems are fixed. They're just winning games with the problems. They're finding ways to win the games with the problems. I, I think that's where we're at with the postseason, right? Like, nothing would shock you at this point once they get into the playoffs because... Well, I mean, at this point, you can't even say the playoffs are a guarantee. No, they're not. The, the they're Broncos not. are one game back. Yeah. 
I mean, they, they have an easy schedule to finish, so they should be able to win at least three of four, which which would get you in there. Yeah. But you're, you are right. You can't take that for granted at this point. You have kind of lost that privilege by losing all these games here. Um, The thing is, in the postseason, it's just, it's just they have to be mistake-free. And, and that's what's scary is that over the course of the regular season, they haven't been. And for them to win in the playoffs, because they don't have that same explosion on offense because they don't have the go-to receivers because they don't have as dominant of an offensive line. You have to win games with defense, not making mistakes, and Mahomes making key plays. I trust Mahomes to make the key plays. If the defense is healthy, I trust the defense. I don't trust the lack of avoiding mistakes. You can't trust Mahomes to make the key plays because... The key plays he makes, well, that's true. there's a, there's yeah, a, yeah. end of the bargain no, that has true. to be held that's up that you can't rely on. The receiver catching the ball or somebody else, yeah. No, you're right, you're right. Will the other person come up on the other end of that? Yeah. You cannot trust Mahomes to make the key plays right now. Not but because it's not of Mahomes. It's not his not, fault. Not because of Mahomes. Yeah. So that's, that's a little bit worrisome. And when you look at how many self-inflicted mistakes they do make, whether it is dropped passes or guys making dumb penalties or having turnovers— how confident are you? Because if, if they're not getting the bye, which at this point, I, I am ready to be done with the can they get the bye discussion. Well, you still look at the rest of the schedules for everybody else. The teams that are near them or in front of them. I'm kind of the out The Ravens it. and the Dolphins. I don't think the Ravens are losing. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. They both have very, very tough schedules. They do. So it's not out of their own possibility. I'm kind of out of the conversation for now for the time being. It's a little bit about the math with, with being down You know, two games with four games to go. It's it's more to me about they just don't look like a team who deserves it. Well, yeah, at this it. point, you just got to prove that so just, you don't suck. Yeah, exactly. That, that's kind of more where I'm at. Like, focus on just you, and, and we'll see where the chips land. But if, if you are in a wild card game, that means to make it to a Super Bowl, you have to win three games, right? And one or two of those would probably be on the road, depending where you get in the seating. Are you the two seed, the three, the four? Right. And, and who knows? I mean, we've seen years where the Chiefs are the two seed, and they get to host all the way through with the ones that you just upset. But realistically, most likely one or two come Which, on the road. If the Ravens are the one seed, they could definitely Absolutely. Lose, I think. Yeah. Um, but over the course of having to win three games, maybe one or two on the road, that means you probably have to play three pretty mistake-free football games. I how don't many mis- think you can trust that. How many mistake-free games have the Chiefs played this season? One against the Bears? Bears was certainly mistake-free. Um, what else? Lions mistake riddled, Jags all sorts of mistakes, but your defense played really well. At the Jets, you had all sorts of mistakes to let them back in the game. Uh, not a ton of mistakes in the Vikings game. Yeah, I don't remember much from the Vikings. Game. Yeah, so that would probably be two. I guess the Chargers thirty-one seventeen win, but in that game you were down early in that game too. Yeah, you came back and won. But I'd be fine if you wanted to. So, but but here's what we're talking about here. It's it's two mistake games, one non-mistake game, one. Uh, mistake game, one non-mistake game, one. It's just all, like they haven't been able to string multiple games together where they don't make mistakes. What's brutal? And to make the Super Bowl, you have to do that. What's brutal is with like the, state of this offense. the AFC stinks. I mean, the AFC is not good. All the top teams have problems, have injuries or other or other issues. I still think the Chiefs, if they're able to figure it out, and I, kind of what you to your point earlier about kind of being a broken record at this point. Every week I've been saying this for the past month, where it's like, well, if the Chiefs can just figure it out, well, at what point is it? What, at what point does it just become they're not going to figure it out? I'm I'm there. I'm there right now. I was I mean, there what, last what point week with just, just the receivers. I was there last week with just the receivers. Now I'm there from the team wide sense. Yeah, it's 
it's it's rough. And everyone's making a big deal about the Mahomes reaction after the game. And I don't know what I mean. I think a lot of people in Mahomes' situation would have would have lost their cool way sooner, way earlier. Yeah, to be clear, to, uh, I I think the Mahomes it was not about that. I don't think it was just about no. this game. No. I think that's a boil over from the the Packers, the the non call on the PI of MVS. I think it's a boil over from the team not playing well. I think it's a boil over from his receivers not being able to catch. I mean, yeah, I mean, how I, can I you how can you expect that. a guy like that to just continue to take all that? Yeah, and not have at least a few and you know we're not in the locker room so maybe it's been happening in the locker room too but obviously that was the first time kind of really publicly he he, he lost it you know and and I get it I mean I would I would probably like I said if I were in Mahomes' shoes I would have lost it four games ago I mean sure. I would have been lo- free, losing my mind four games earlier so yeah just brutal and you know the semantics of the Tony call I honestly don't care I mean it's 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 whatever he, he I think if you look yeah. at it he was clearly offsides now, if you want to debate back and forth about whether or not he like pointed to the ref and was like, "Well, I don't know," you know what I whatever I I honestly I do not care. I do not care. That's not why the Chiefs lost. The Chiefs lost because they continue to turn it over. They continue to have penalties, which I guess including that one. Continue to drop passes. And just yeah, I mean yeah, and I mean just a terrible game from Tony all around. Tony dropped a couple passes too in the game. So it's just brutal, you know. And you're without Pacheco. Receivers running the wrong. But routes. again, this is the thing. You you add up all of that for the Chiefs, and at the end of the day, you got the ball driving late in the game, down by three, to go tie or win it against against the Bills, right? This continues to be the issue that I have with the Chiefs, is you constantly bemoan all these problems against the Packers. You, you had the ball twice late in the game to go down and drive and take the lead or win it. You even got it again, down eight with a chance to go tie it and try to win it. Eagles, same deal. Like, it's that's what's most infuriating is, like, I still feel like, there's there's a window of opportunity for the Chiefs to have things come together the right way for them, but yeah. it's just a right now it just it's just a comedy of errors at the worst possible times. Well, you know what it was. I I was at the game and as I was there uh, when when the Bills kicked the field to go, go field goal to go up three twenty to seventeen with a little I mean, under two minutes. Two years left. ago, you would have been like, exactly. oh, game's over. Chiefs just won. The game is over. Exactly. Chiefs are going to win the game. Mahomes is going to go down. At least they're going to get a field goal, and this game's going to overtime, and most likely scoring a touchdown. They are now 0 for 4 in those situations this year. And it's not really yeah. Mahomes. The Lions game. I don't think they've scored a point in the fourth quarter when trailing. That's season. crazy. That's crazy. The Lions game. They're down 21-20 with the ball with like a minute or two left, right? They go down. Uh, Kadarius Tony drops the pass that would have put him in field goal range. Then Sky Moore drops the pass on the fourth in, in prayer, right? Um, then you go to the Eagles game. Perfect MVS. throw to MVS. Drop pass, right? Then uh, unbelievable. By the way, fourth in prayer to Justin <laughs> yeah. Watson. Then yeah. can't catch, right? Yeah, another one. Uh, the Packers game, uh, MVS, pass interference, and whatever. All and kinds of shenanigans. All kinds of stuff, right? Uh, then the Bills game where, you know, I, I guess down the stretch, it's it's Tony being offsides. It's um, not getting the call on Von Miller to be offsides and, and just, I, I don't know, not executing properly, not blocking properly, whatever it is, right? Yeah. They're 0 for 4 in those situations this year. No longer does the che- do the Chiefs have the cheat code of, hey, we're down one score late, it'll be fine. No, exactly. And yeah. it's not. I don't in think the it's Mahomes' fault. It's it's. Yeah. it's I, I think it's the receivers. I think it's no, the Mahomes continues to line. deliver incredible throws and make ridiculous yes. plays. And like low key, over. the offensive tackles have not been very good for the Chiefs. Wanya Morris was good, I think. I think he was. I think he was actually an upgrade on what you've been having this year from Donovan Smith. But like, it's just it's the same thing 
over and over and over again. And maybe yeah. these last four games the Chiefs have, they're at the or they're at the Patriots versus the Raiders versus the Bengals at the Chargers. All those are winnable games. Maybe this is what they need. Maybe they need an easier stretch of the schedule to work some of those kinks out and start figuring it out. Things are a little bleak right now. And you look at the Broncos' schedule, they're at Detroit this week, a game they're not going to be favored in, though Detroit's kind of been fading a little yeah, the bit Lions here. suck now. After that, the Broncos have an easy schedule too. Versus the Patriots, versus the Chargers, at the Raiders. So if you don't go at least 3-1 and one in these last four, yeah, you might be in trouble for uh, winning the division. And, and who knows what happens with uh, a cacophony of teams in, in a possible wildcard race. Yeah. The Lions suck. Uh, but, again, I, I – I mean, the Chiefs suck too, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, I'm the most delusional. And the Bills of life now. I'm the most delusional Chiefs fan there is, and even I'm starting to waver, which is bad. I mean, that's brutal. I mean, a guy like me, wavering, yeah. that's really bad. I Where I'm at is that you gave the Bills new life. They're going to take it. Bills are going to be in the playoffs. And you have basically – I feel like the Bills got new life and you got new death. Oh, absolutely. Is basically where we're at after that 100%. game. 100%. 100%. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's give more overreactions. NFL Monday overreactions next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. About a quarter till five on RCST. We'll get to some more KU basketball talk, KU basketball takeaways coming up in the five o'clock hour. We've also got some audio from Bill Self and Thomas Robinson we're going to share coming up in the next hour of the show with Nick Springer, Derek Johnson. It is time on a Monday, though. NFL happened over the weekend. Let's overreact to what we saw with our NFL Monday overreactions. Yeah, I want to overreact. The Chiefs are terrible. They suck. They're so bad. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, actually, I don't know. Am I kidding? But anyways, in line with that thought here first, uh, we, we kind of talked about this in the last segment, but uh, is it an overreaction to say that the Broncos now are going to win the AFC West? Ooh. Is that an overreaction? Is that a hot take? Yeah, I think it is an overreaction after the game. Like, as, as much as the Chiefs have all these issues and – it's uncharacteristic from what we've seen from Andy Reid teams and from Patrick Mahomes. I mean, like this is at this point in time, this is probably the worst Chiefs team of the Patrick Mahomes era, which is odd considering it's the best defense, bar none, of the Patrick Mahomes era. So there are problems there clearly, but still, like if you were to, you could easily like uh, spin zone this, don't you think? Couldn't you easily spin zone this into saying, "Are you willing to at least admit that Russ is low key cooking?" No, I'm not. What? Um, but couldn't you easily spin zone the Chiefs into being they're eight and five with three losses that if a receiver just catches one extra pass. Oh yeah. Or isn't offsides, I guess. Oh, you could easily spin you zone. Know, you could easily spin zone. Then they're eleven and two. Absolutely. Well I mean, look could, at their losses. Yeah. The Lions, who are leaders of the AFC North, the Eagles, who are I guess tied now leaders of the NFC East. Yeah. The Bills, who are now above five hundred. Bills are ranked sixth in NFL DVOA right now, by the way. So even though they're seven and six, very good team still. But yeah, uh, Packers who are hot, surging yep. right now. Yep. You know, yep. you, you can easily. And then the Broncos who are yeah, they're good now, right? In, in a game that you had five turnovers, like, they're you're good, not but lose you won't games. admit that Russ is low. key I will cooking. not admit Russ is low key cooking. That's sad. Why do you think Russ is low key cooking? I, I'm, now I'm just saying it because I know you don't. You won't admit it. Uh, let's see. Uh, total QBR. Would you like to take a guess where Russell Wilson is? Probably like sixty-five. 70. In the, in the NFL. Oh. Oh, I thought you were just Oh, you think that's number. his grade. I think that's his number. Okay. And where do you think that that rates out He's in the probably NFL? Probably like, I don't know, 18. Okay, Russell Wilson has a total QBR of 49.9. Wow. 
He's 20th in the NFL. Okay, so I got one of those kind of right. Yeah. He, a, why is it? What? Do NFL QBs just suck? Apparently. I mean, what? 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 Uh, also, these are uh, Russell Wilson's passing totals of late. 224, 186, 134, 259, 193, 114, 194, yeah, but what are, but 95, what are, 196. But what are his W totals of late? A lot more. Than, a lot more. He's he's playing game manager quarterback on a team that's running the ball well, <laughs> on a team that's being opportunistic, forcing turnovers, uh, on a team that has some good weapons on the outside, on a team that is playing much better defense here than they were in the first portion of the season. Uh, I would not still be picking the Broncos to win the AFC West. Uh, what could be interesting, though, is because the two teams split. So let's say, hypothetically, the Broncos win out. Let's say the, the Chiefs go 3-1 and one down the stretch. That would put both at 11-6. and six. Doesn't it go to conference record? It goes to division record first for the division. Oh. In that scenario... It'd be tied again, I think. The Broncos would be 4-2 and two in the division. Oh. The Chiefs, depending who you lose to, would either be 4-2 and two or 5-1. and one. Then from there, it could go to conference record if they're tied in division record. Which conference record, I think, will favor the Chiefs. Chiefs are 6-2. and two, Broncos are 4-5 and five right now. Yeah. So... You're looking at for the Broncos to win the division, they have to win out and hope the Chiefs lose twice. Or, I don't know, that they go 3-1, and one, the Chiefs have to lose three times. So, no, I, I think that is an overreaction. Okay, okay. What about this? You look at the MVP race right now, and everyone wants, Oh, Brock Purdy should win the MVP. For what? Running HB dive with Christian McCaffrey? No, what a joke. The only right pick for MVP right now is Dak Prescott. Mm. He should be the winner. So I think Dak definitely deserves to be in this conversation and, and at the very top. Uh, he is second in total QBR, ironically enough, to Brock Purdy by .1 points. But as you kind of talked about... I would have a high QBR running HB dive with Christian McCaffrey. I mean, yeah, Brock, Brock Purdy has the best weapons around him. Now, Dak Prescott has really good weapons around him too. Like, CeeDee Lamb is is playing like one of the best receivers in the NFL right now. Um, it's hard to say the best because Tyree Kill and some of these other guys exist, but he has been really good so far this year. Jake Ferguson's uh, taken a leap at the tight end position. I mean, they have good running backs with uh, Tony Pollard kind of leading the way there, and uh, even Brandon Cooks, like, that was a nice pickup for him. So he has good weapons, good offensive line, but it's not as good. I mean, the 49ers, you could argue, have, like, the best uh, top five receiving core. I mean, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, like, those two are studs. Uh, George Kittle is a tight end. Uh, they have one of the best offensive lines, led by Trent Williams. They have the best running back in the NFL with Christian McCaffrey. So it's just a little bit easier. Uh, Dak Prescott is doing really well. And I think we've kind of slept on the Cowboys because of the early season blowout loss to the 49ers and the loss to the Cardinals. They have been so good since the 28 touchdown passes to six interceptions for Dak. He's leading the NFL in passing touchdowns. He's third in the NFL in passing yards. This feels like, to me, the season that Matt Ryan had when he won MVP. Like, a good quarterback. Everybody thought Matt Ryan was, like, a top 10 to 12 quarterback in the NFL. People thought he was pretty good, yeah. They thought they Solid. always thought he was pretty good, but you never thought he was, like, top five. With Dak, I've, I've always felt like, yeah, he's top half quarterback, you know, 10 to 12 range. Sure. He's having that MVP season where this year you feel like, okay, maybe he is top five, you know? Okay. And I don't know okay. how sustainable that'll be year in, year out. I think he does deserve maybe right now to be MVP. I, I do think that with the value part of it, it always goes to quarterbacks. I'll be honest, this year, if I had a vote, I'd be giving it to Tyreek Hill or Christian McCaffrey, and I wouldn't really care about the quarterback thing. Mm. But if I had to pick a quarterback, I would give it to Dak. Okay, there we go. All right, so you look at the slate, you look at the landscape of the NFL right now. Chiefs suck. Ravens have questions. Uh, the Miami can't win big games. No quarterback for the mm. Bengals. Bills have six Bills losses. Bills are six losses. The Jaguars, Eagles Trevor Lawrence is hurt. Eagles now. suck. 
Cowboys can't win big games. The Lions suck. If the 49ers do not win the Super Bowl this year, they never will. Wow. At least under this like regime. Sure, yeah. In the never. next 10 years yeah, or whatever. Sure. Um, Man, I, I don't know that this is that much an overreaction. I, I want to say it is because to close a window on a team after one year seems pretty ridiculous. At some point, though, they're going to have to pay Brock Purdy, and that's going to prevent you from having like the best at every position, which they kind of have right now. Some of these players are going to start getting older. Uh, we see defenses tend to age faster than more of the offensive side of the ball. Uh, with running backs, Christian McCaffrey, that could you know poof off at any moment because running backs kind of age quickly, too. Um, so I, I'll say this, like I, w- I wouldn't count them out because they are so talented, so good, and Kyle Shanahan is such a good coach that I, I do think this is an overreaction, but it'll never get easier than this year for them. Yeah, Chiefs are down. All the quarterbacks are injured. Uh, Eagles are starting to fall off right now. Like if, if I was Cowboys ordering can't win big games. If I was ordering the teams that I would be most confident in making the Super Bowl from the NFC, it'd be like tier one would be the, the 49ers, tier two would be the Cowboys, tier three would be the Eagles, tier four would be Packers, the Lions, I don't know. <laughs> and then you look at the AFC, and it's like, who's going to represent the AFC this year? Well, the Ravens have been great all year long, but we haven't seen Lamar Jackson do it in the postseason yet, really consistently, right? Um, the Chiefs, have, like you said, I mean, so I don't know. I, I think this is presents their best year, absolutely. Yes, it'll only get harder from here if they don't win it. All right, the Carolina Panthers this year, mm. they are this year's Carolina Panthers are the best argument for relegation in the NFL. <laughs> Where would they get relegated to? Like the Arena Football know. League or something? A- A- XFL, XFL, you know, USFL, whatever. One of the A- USFL, whatever. Canadian League. Yeah, bring up the Birmingham Stallions <laughs> and send down the Carolina Panthers. No, I do not think there should be relegation in the NFL. I'm fine with that. I'm fine without having it. Okay, well, how about this? Further along this Everybody line. loves the idea of relegation until it actually gets put in practice and you're rooting for a team that gets relegated, and then they all of a sudden lose all this money and well, they, they have can never make it back up. Because, like, yeah, think I mean, about it. If if you were a fan of, like, the Panthers, Panthers get relegated. Are you going to continue to follow the Panthers in the USFL? I want to watch the NFL. Exactly. You're not going to watch the so Panthers I'll pick anymore. a new team. Exactly. Yeah. So then... Even, and then even if the Panthers do make it back into the NFL, you're gonna feel like you lost. You're probably not gonna be a fan of them anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm out on relegation, just in general, honestly. All right, to that end, you look at the NFC South. We should just ban all the teams from winning NFC South. Nobody can win NFC South. Agree. I think there should be a rule that you have to finish at least above 500 to win your division. Otherwise, well, your you division make it to winner where, is forfeited. I think you should just make it to where if you are below 500, you don't get to host. I'd be fine with that. Do too. that. Just I'd make them go on the that. road. What, yeah, this what, is, I, what have any of those teams done to earn a home? I don't want to watch any of these teams in the playoffs. No, and they're going to be hosting okay. either Cowboys or the Eagles. <laughs> you know, think about this. Like, you know how terrible it would be to be a fan of one of those four teams. Because think about it. Let's say you are a Saints fan mm-hmm. or, or a Panthers fan. So not only do you have to watch your team suck every week, you then it's even worse because you have to watch your team plus the other teams in your division yeah, suck because you have to play watching. each other. Oh man, they have to and play each other. Too. So it's like quadruple the amount of suck. That That's you not have a fun to experience. Not at all. No, that's Terrible. like the year that uh, Tim Tebow won the division. The Chiefs were like a game out. Um, they had Richard Seymour blocked like two field goals. Otherwise, they would have won the division. But yeah. Yeah. It's not fun. All right. Quickly. Uh, yeah. What is your fraud alert? Fraud alert. Who's your team, fraud, fraud team of the week? A lot project. of good picks this week. A lot of good teams you could say are frauds. We have the Lions, Colts, Chiefs, Steelers, uh, Texans. Uh, let's see. Can put the. Seahawks in there, I guess. Who do you believe of Eagles. those teams that you've mentioned? Because like you said, there are a lot of teams. 
who do you believe of their results is most indicative that the rest of the season you think they're going to be a fraud? Uh, Lions. Okay. Lions, Lions is my fraud of the week. I actually would have picked them too, so I think that's a good one to pick. Fraud alert. Detroit Lions. Sound the alarm. <laughs> He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. More KU football, KU basketball talk next. Five o'clock hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, if you missed it, the news from earlier today, some KU football roster stuff. Uh, Melo Dotson is returning for 2024, so that's good news for the KU corner room next season. Deshaun Hanica, a tight end transfer from Iowa State, picked KU. Topeka native. He'll be uh, coming around for his last year of college. Good receiving tight end. And Tanaka Scott, one of the backup receivers for KU, has entered the transfer portal. So lots uh, going on for the KU football team. If you missed any of that conversation earlier, you can check it out on our Best of RCST podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast brought to you by Massage Envy. Now available as well as KUSports.com after the show. Uh, so KU basketball took down Missouri 73-64 to on Saturday. Rock Chalk Pickahawk for us was a doozy. Kevin was McCuller had 13 points for me. Not a good shooting game for Kevin. Last year's format it wouldn't have been a great game, but uh, ended up putting up a bunch of stats and everything. Yeah. He had 13 points for Pickahawk. Dewan Harris had negative 12 for me, though. Uh, Parker Brown got me five, had a couple big blocks. Jamari McDowell had negative four. Four minutes played, zero of everything. Wow. And then so he uh, didn't record a single stat. Nope, Michael wow. Jankovic. Well, he had one missed shot, and then Michael Jankovic had zero. He did not play. So I went wound up with two total points. Mm. Oh, wow, yeah. real barn burner. You had fifteen from Hunter Dickinson. There we go. Despite you saying that he wasn't trying. What did I say? You said oh, he, he wasn't trying. Dude, I mean, he just looked very disinterested. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Uh, so you had fifteen. KJ Adams had negative three. Johnny Furphy had zero. <clears throat> Marco Jackson had minus eight. And Nick Timberlake, your guy, had negative one. Okay. Negative one. I'll take that. You finished with three points. You beat me three to two. W. It was a soccer match. The best part of winning ugly, winning. Let's go. Come on. That's why you play the game right there. Huge W. Huge, huge W for the boys. Shout out. Shout out the boys there. Uh, Yeah, I mean, listen. Hunter Dickinson, listen, even though he didn't really try that much, I'll take it. I'll take 15 from Hunter Dickinson. KJ Adams, surprising minus three for for my guy there because of a necessity. But he, you know, he played a lot of minutes. I think the real thing that sunk you for Dewan Harris was Dewan Harris played forty minutes. I mean, he he played all forty minutes. So I think no matter who you are, if you're playing all forty minutes, probably going to be tough to have like a positive good really pick a hawk game if you're playing all forty. Yeah. So certainly huge W for the boys. Consideration for uh, some of the. So now what? Games. On the four and. Four and five behind you? You are, no, you are four and seven, or you're five and seven, excuse me. Oh, five and seven. I am now nice. seven and five. Okay. So, oh, we're tied at five and five then. Or no? No, not how this works. <laughs> tough. Tough. Yeah. By the way, this is crazy. I'm seeing this right now. Uh, Shohei Otani, who signed a, this is a side note, 10 year, $700 million deal. Um, yeah. He has only taken $2 million a year for the 10 years of the deal to skirt salary. And Wait, then what? he is getting the, the remaining $680 million just deferred afterwards. What? How does that even work? Basically, this... So he's signing a 10-year, $20 million deal, basically? For all intents and purposes of the Dodgers avoiding the luxury tax. That's horrible. 
How is that allowed? How I is agree. that legal? Yeah, that should not be allowed at all, I don't think. That's ridiculous. Yeah. What are we doing there? Anyway. That's absurd. All right, let's get to our KU basketball takeaways. Uh, biggest positive of the game for KU Missouri? I think the biggest positive was definitely K.J. Adams uh, showing his ability to score and uh, hitting some of those uh, push shots that we talked about. I, I think I really do believe that that's going to be one of the keys to unlocking this KU offense and elevating him to the next level is him continuing to be aggressive and being a threat to score from that area because we saw what Missouri's strategy was, which was sag way off of K.J. Adams, pack the paint, and basically let him do whatever he wanted on the outside. And he showed that he can be aggressive and make plays, right? And I, I think he was the biggest bright spot in the game by far. Uh, another outstanding performance from him. I think he continues to play inspired based off of what's happened with him off the court. So really, really impressive stuff from uh, from K.J. Adams. That That's maybe my biggest positive is just his play, the fact that he was aggressive, was assertive, and was impactful uh, from even beyond just the paint area in making plays. Obviously, had the biggest block of the game uh, and was fantastic on that end as well. Had some great dunks, so... KJ Adams, I think, definitely was uh, my biggest positive from the game. I think that's a good one. Um, I would go rebounding, honestly, might, might be the biggest positive for me because that had been something that KU had not been great at despite some of the personnel. Um, I think that the rebounding is, I, I don't know, something they need to do better at in general. Like, I don't think you have to be a dominant rebounding team to win the title. They, they weren't a couple years ago. But they need to specifically, uh, like, the defensive rebounding has been okay all year long. It was even better in this game. The offensive rebounding, I would like to see be better. They were ranked outside the top 300 coming into this game. Uh, they were excellent, uh, grabbed, like, 40% of their offensive rebounds. So that's a really, really good number to be at. Uh, they were actually in the top 70 the year they won the title a couple years ago. I don't know that they have to get there with this team, but at least be, like, average at it. Be in the hundreds at it, not in, like, the 200s or 300s. So I think that was a really good sign to see that they can be dominant um, rebounding the basketball. Um, outside of that, like maybe, I, I don't know. I, I know you talked about the Hunter Dickens and stuff, but in a weird twist, was it good to see that KU could win a game where Hunter Dickinson was limited to nine shots, where the opposing team was doing so much to take away from him? Could be. That could other be. guys. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, I think I want to put out free throws. You know, I've, I've, I have at times been, uh, pretty critical of the free throw shooting for Kansas and they shot it very well against Missouri. That was a big part of the reason why they won the game. So I'll say another positive was was the free throw shooting for sure. Yeah. Uh, biggest negative from the game? Uh, biggest negative? Gosh, I hate to just say the bench again. They were not very good. Uh, maybe the the biggest negative maybe just the fact that you did turn the ball over 16 times if you're Kansas in the game as well. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the biggest negative is just that I feel like Kansas is a lot better than just nine points better than Missouri. Uh, in totality, so I don't. This just it just wasn't a, a it wasn't a great game from Kansas. I don't think. I think they're a lot better than nine points, uh, better than Missouri, which is what they won by. So I don't know. I guess like I don't know. I'm trying to think of a way to encapsulate that basically into the biggest negative of just basically you didn't really play an A or a B game. I don't think in total necessarily uh, against a rival at home when you feel like you probably would have been pretty jacked up, but you still won the game pretty. Like comfortably, all basically. So, I don't know. I don't know. Does that does that really make sense to you? Yeah, I, I think that makes some sense. Um, I I mean, is is this game like one that you're gonna remember super fondly and outside no. of just like you beat Missouri, so you yeah. did your job? But it's, I mean, it's, I think the KJ Adams block will make it a little bit more memorable yeah. for some people that were maybe there. But 
No, it's not nearly as memorable as, as going and smashing him in Columbia, right? Or no, even the last win you had it, you know, with Chris Dehan get him over a hundred. Yeah, and because it was the first one in, in almost ten years. So I don't know. Uh biggest negative. I mean, the fact that they kept going at Johnny Furphy and Nick Timberlake, I th- I think that just has to be the answer. Well, yeah, and I mean, kind of an extension of that, mentioned the bench. I mean, this was a game where uh, you felt like you were better than the opponent, and yet still your bench was only to give you a combined, like, 20 minutes of play. Right? Mm-hmm. That's not very good. Parker Round plays five minutes, Furphy plays eight, McDowell four, Timberlake six. Like, even in a game where you feel like you were – you're the better team significantly than your opponent because your bench has been so bad. You didn't even really get to play them or utilize them because you need your, you need your best players out there. Sure. I guess the other negative might just be like, uh, again, another game you didn't force a ton of turnovers or anything. I don't, I don't know that this was the game I was expecting that to kind of happen. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Not, not too many negatives, I guess, even though you didn't cover the spread. Maybe that's the other one. You didn't cover the spread. Didn't make money. <laughs> For, for all the loyal KU fans. All right, uh, biggest <laughs> neutral of the game. I was going to use Hunter Dickinson as the biggest neutral because I I did think that he was – he just didn't look like he cared, but he still was really good, <laughs> really – like still made his presence – I mean, 16 rebounds. Like, you know, Missouri had it as a team at 25. He had 16. So even though I even though I personally from watching the game and being there thought that he didn't look super engaged, he still ended up – being really impactful and, and, you know, scoring 13 points on six of nine. So he's very efficient as well. So uh, I, my biggest neutral was maybe probably going to be Hunter Dickinson, to be honest. Okay. Honestly, I could say Dewan Harris. I, th- I thought he he had a couple times where he was aggressive when he needed to be. You know, you have five assists, but five assists to four turnovers. It's not a uh, uh, line there that blows off the page. Eight points, two re- It's not a line that blows off the page overall. He also played 40 minutes. He had to deal with a lot, and he had to deal with a lot of pressure from Missouri, and that's tough to, you know, just deal with the fatigue. I didn't think it was like a, a it's far from a bad Dwan Harris game. It was, if anything, I think it was a good Dwan Harris game, but I don't think it was a great one either. So maybe you'd put him up there. Uh, you can maybe say, oh, Marco Jackson. Like I, like I said earlier, I thought you saw enough flashes, and and I thought overall it was good. But honestly, like if El Marco Jackson overall in the season is just a neutral, isn't that enough? Like in a in a weird way. With the other four starters they have? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said earlier, he's the fifth option. Right. right. So your fifth option does not have to be doing anything too crazy. He's just got to be kind of a stalwart guy, somebody you can rely on to be uh, consistent on both ends of the floor, but not necessarily be, you know, a clutch shooter or a go-to guy because you have four other guys that can do that. So, yeah, maybe. I mean, he, he could be, if he ends up being, I mean, let, let me ask you this. If Marco puts up this exact stat line in every game for the rest of the season, you're probably pretty happy with that, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, 26 minutes, 11 points, didn't really turn the ball over. Fine defense. Made yeah. one three. Uh, what is the KU play of the game? Well, uh, you've got the, the KJ block, which we've talked about quite a bit. But just to go with something different, I'm going to pick that KJ dunk. He gets the ball on the baseline. KJ Adams gets the ball on the baseline. Uh, he he looked like he was pretty far away from the basket. Somehow, without dribbling, he goes up from a complete standstill, goes and leaps into the air and makes that dunk. Just a ridiculous play. Just a ridiculous play from KJ Adams. And uh, you know, obviously the dunk's going to get the highlight, but man, that dunk was just—it was awesome. I mean, it was it was incredible. 
It really was. Hell of a play uh, from KJ. Um, it's it's hard not to pick the block. I know. Well, because you think about it, like, what are the big plays where they're King made three threes in the game. So it wasn't like there was a big three-point shot they hit at any point. No, not really. You know? You mentioned the Hunter Dickinson dunk. That was kind of cool. Yeah, and that one was, they were 45-34, so, like, they'd already kind of gained control. I'm trying to think if there was, a like, what was the big play that sparked the early run? You know? Because well, most of those big plays were, were in, in the, the second half. In the first half, they got a lot of free throws. Really? Yeah. Well, that, that was honestly half. something we didn't bring up in the positives, but going 20. I, I did mention it, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 20 of 23 on, on free throws, 87%. That, that's really good stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was, let's see, it was 15 to 6. And you had a Dwan Harris layup, then free throws, then eventually got to 20 to 12. Oh, that was a nice play. The Kevin McCuller dunk that was assisted by Dwan Harris. Um, you had a, the Nick Timberlake three-point make. Uh, that, that was the play that got you from down 20 to 12 to 20 to 15. Okay. And it was on a play that Timberlake or Dickinson was kind of pinned under the hoop, slings it to him. It wasn't like a wide-open three. It was, it was semi-contested, and he was still able to knock it down, which uh, I think was important there. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a guy that hasn't hit very many, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to remember when this play happened, but it, it was a play that KU got either a steal or a long rebound or something. It led to a transition opportunity, and you had Parker Brown streaking through the middle open, but whoever caught the pass on the right, whether it was Kevin or KJ or somebody, maybe Nick, I don't, I don't know, um, didn't have the passing angle to get it to him because there was somebody taller than him just like there. And so they ended up passing it ahead to Dewan Harris, and Dewan immediately, because he saw it the whole way with Parker Brown coming in, threw it to him, and, and like Parker Brown had a dunk. Mm. Or maybe it was Kevin McCuller. Now I'm overthinking it myself. That was a really good play. <laughs> I, do remember, I, remember I do remember Kevin McCuller having a dunk. Uh, off of, I don't know if it, if it was that play specifically. Yeah. Kevin McCuller did have a dunk. Though. Kevin's three, though. I, I know you said the, the three-pointers, like there, there wasn't a ton, so it's hard to pick. The Kevin three was kind of a big one, too, because that was when it was 31-29, to 29, and the Kevin three was a 239 to go, assisted by KJ. That started a 10-0 run for Kansas to finish the half in the final 239, which capped a 14-0 run yeah. in theory, but um, yeah. specifically that run to end the half. Dude, yeah, shout ones. out to the Missouri fans. They got loud and proud when it was three to two and seven to five and fifteen to six, whatever. And then uh, they didn't really have much to cheer about after that. No, not really. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think the the KJ block for sure. Like, I mean, just the nature yeah. of the play, the hustle of the play, the power, the strength, the athleticism, all that stuff shown on that play. Yeah. And when you do and it again, to Missouri, to me, have T Rob in the building. Nothing makes it better than the fact that the guy turned around, saw KJ, and was like, "Nah." I'm fine. <laughs> he was not fine. He was not fine. Narrator, he was not fine. He was far from fine. Uh, by the way, T-Rob get, got his uh, jersey retired. We're, we're going to get you some uh, audio from him coming up in our next segment. And uh, we got the the one guy, I, I already blanked on his name. I know his nickname was Skinny, right? He's going to be retired in, in January. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> Something Johnson? Yeah, like Skinny Johnson. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, should Lisa Brown have her name hanging in the rafters? Because think about it. Like, Christian Brown, not going to be able to hang in the rafters from the criteria. Parker Brown just won't. He's a bench center. Okay. But if you combine the production of Christian Brown and Parker I'm, Brown. I'm going to stop you right there. And she played at Missouri. No, you can't put her name in the rafters. Doesn't matter. Doesn't no. matter. Because what no. she has done for the program, think about this. No. So it's not no. just the Brown brothers. Nope. Nope. Wait, wait. Nope. Who told Bill Self to recruit Dewan Harris? Nope. 
was Elisa nope. Brown. Nope. 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 So nope. now played at Missouri. We nope. have the combined production. It doesn't matter of Dewan Harris, Christian Brown, Parker Brown. You add up the resumes of all three. That's two national titles. Nope. That is multiple All Big Twelve awards. All of that negated by the fact that you played 12 at Missouri. Awards. You cannot have somebody who played know, at man. Missouri in the rafters. You got to forgive. No. You got to forget. No. You got to move on. Refuse. Wrong. I think that's a good resume. No. That's a real good resume. No. All right. Uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our KU basketball takeaways. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We've got some Thomas Robinson audio after he was uh, did have his jersey go up in the rafters. He spoke with the media or. Uh, he spoke with everybody at halftime, and then he spoke with the media after the game. We'll also get to some Bill Self audio. The head coach spoke with the media after the game, too, to uh, talk about KU's win. All that coming up here in the rest of the 5 o'clock hour with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk. Don't forget, you can check out the best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, as well as at KUSports.com, brought to you by Massage Envy. We'll be back after this break in the action on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think there'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.